They said that B isn't going to be the, the, the way this goes, but that's not the right way. But let's track this. Let me actually document how I think different things are going to play out. And let's see if I know what I'm talking about in the healthcare space or in my relationships or in, in whatever world that you feel you have credibility or insight. Test it. Test it yourself. And if you are passing those tests, what does that mean? It's kind of anecdotal, but I think when it comes to like confidence, you need either like data points that tell you I know what I'm doing, or you need some examples just in your face that are like, damn, if he did it, I can do it. What happens in between is all about the awkward middle phase of entrepreneurship. You know, after you've taken your first steps, but before you can live off your passion. Join me, Athena, as I learn from other emerging creators about the tactical and emotional methods they use to keep moving forward after the initial excitement of following your dreams meets the reality of following your dreams. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to What Happens in Between. Today, I'm really excited. We have Devo Harris, who is a three-time Grammy winner, a tech entrepreneur, and founder of Adventure.io. Hi. Hey, what's up? So how are you doing on this fine evening? How am I doing? I'm all right. I'm, I'm excited about some things. I'm anxious about some things. I'm sad about some things. Mm-hmm. But all in all, I'm happy. To, I'm happy to be here. I really appreciate that answer, actually. I'm trying to come up with a different sort of entry into conversation because asking how are you since basically March of 2020 is just doesn't feel correct. Maybe you just say, where do you want to be one year from now? <laughs> that's how I start. the. That's how I open the combo. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Um, I mean, what, what, was, what would you say if someone said that to you? Probably think, maybe you think for a second about that. And Mm -hmm. I bet most people probably haven't thought about that. Yeah. That's my guess. Fair enough. Okay. So can we have a little bit of background about you? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I am an army brat. I grew up all over the world throughout the Midwest and in Germany and the past 20 years or so on the East Coast between Philadelphia and New York. I love building things. I went to school at uh, Wharton, my undergrad, and since then I've worked in the in consulting, venture capital advisory, the music business, and now technology. And no matter what you know, I'm doing as far as work, I just really like building things that people enjoy and trying to make as many people in the world enjoy them as possible. I live in Harlem mm-hmm. and I have a beautiful 11-year-old daughter named Evan. Oh. Um, who could probably hear me in the next room. So, but yeah, that's probably a bit about me. Mm -hmm. So we have two things in common. We went to Wharton and I just found this out. Well, prior to you saying this, uh, that you're an army brat, which I think personally shaped a lot of my personality. And I'd love to hear how you feel like it has affected the way that you interact with the world. For those who are not familiar with an army brat, well, I'll give you my definition of it. It is often a person that grows up with one or both parents in the army or other military services, which requires them to move a lot. 
And so they might move within the country, they might move to Japan, Korea, Europe, anywhere in the world, they could be moving at the command of the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, you, you know, you may have lots of friends in different places. You may have no friends in any places, um, but a somewhat of a nomadic lifestyle as a kid, which is very different than how so many kids grow up in one town, friends for since kindergarten, et cetera. Now that may be changed with the internet, but that's how I grew up. And so the, I think for me, it's really made me be super independent because I, I don't have a model of lifetime friends. And I'm, I'm very independent, probably to a fault. And I think that's influenced my career choices. Yeah, 100% influenced my career choices. It influenced the sports that I like. I really got into wrestling and... And I think as a musician, one thing I really feel strongly about is that the fact that I lived all over the world and I spent like five years in Germany alone and then on the East Coast and the Midwest, I've just, I have been exposed to so many people and sounds that as I became a music creator, I think that's what helped make my music be able to be appreciated in so many corners of the world. And... I don't think if you ask me to make a West Coast song or a go-go song or a New York whatever song, I would not be able to do that as well because I'm not steeped in those cultures. I'm more of a right. global culture guy, I guess. It's interesting that you mentioned how the independence sort of flows through everything because I'm also thinking about it and the sports that I was interested in were not team sports. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that I'm not a team player, but I just was always like gymnastics and diving. Those are, it's only the, it's only yourself really that you're ever competing against. And yeah, I'd never made that connection, that potential connection, but I'm very interested in, so this idea of not having lifelong friends especially as you transitioned into entrepreneurship, I feel like there's, there's the concept of the first round of funding is the family and friends round. And for my listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with that, it's more so, it's just that the first people who buy into your product or service are your close friends and your family. And that's how a lot of entrepreneurs get their start. So with that, Naturally, you have family, right? So in terms of perhaps knowing people all over the world versus having very deep and a tight circle of connections, how do you think that played into your entrepreneurship or even your, your career in music? Yeah, I, I think e either way, either, either one of those approaches can be, can be valuable. It's really the, the, the quality of those connections and... Mm -hmm how you know however strong that they are so i think that having went to to penn and wharton was like a major mm -hmm. it's a major boost for for me my oldest oldest friends i have two friends from high school everyone else is from penn and those those were my first investors uh when i started doing entrepreneurial things they're still my even my second company they're the first investors i had a call yesterday mm -hmm. 
And one of my friends from Penn was, you know, leading that call with another potential partner. And, you know, even on the music side, even though I don't have a ton of friends or old, old lifelong friends, I have some high quality friends. So as I started music, you know, John Legend was one of my roommates from Penn. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that turned into a fruitful relationship for everyone. So I, I, I don't know. I do think that I could be stronger at making friends and I could mm-hmm. be stronger in terms of uh, teamwork and managing people, like from having a lifelong career in kind of solo making songs and whatnot. Um, it's not super helpful in, in, in that, in, in that vein, but um yeah, sometimes I wish that I had more experience with, I often wish I had more experience with teams and longer mm-hmm. relationships. So yeah, but I am actively working on now on improving those things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, I, so you can get external folks to help, help you sort of surface where you're deficient and improve those areas. That's one thing I'm working on now. Definitely. So Penn Wharton as a sort of network boost, but how do you actually leverage connections in a way that's not schemey, right? You know, like you could be dropped into, this is actually, I think what's happening with a lot of people with Clubhouse where they're dropped into the space with big names that it's the only place right now that you can get in front of them. But how do you leverage connections? I mean, everyone has connections, you know, people probably think like I have great connections. Like I know John Legend. What a, what a connection. No, I know John Stevens, my roommate from college, uh, Kanye West I work yeah. with. Wow. You have that connection. Well, he's actually my cousin that when I started working with him, no one wanted to hear him and they said, you'll never get a record deal. And, but I, I believe, so I think it, that that's something that we do is we look at, is we look at how can I leverage my network? But I think if you think about it the other way, like how can my network leverage me? I think that's mm. a more fruitful way for people to go about creating value. So, you know, when I start you know, working with Kanye, first of all, let me take another step back. When I was at, at Penn, I studied strategic management. I remember this uh, professor I had lunch with saying, he was saying strategic management, what are you going to do with that? Like, that's not accounting. It's not finance. It's not directly linkable to a trade, a job. And I was saying, I I don't think that me being successful in the long term, really that my major really matters. I think that uh, my concentration, I think that me having good relationships and me having a good basis of, uh, experience to draw from, how people led companies and mistakes that they made and correct decisions that that they made. And I don't know if we'll care if I made straight A's in accounting 10 years from now. I I hope. I hope that's not the case. Um, Mm -hmm. And so so I DJed. I played football. I wrestled for a couple of weeks. I was at the campus radio station, off campus. We had parties, pin relay stuff. I was in different, like, campus groups. And whenever I did link up with Kanye, I was, um, I thought what he was doing was, was awesome. He had a lot of songs that ended up being his first album. And, and I said, Hey, my, 
my friend Dara from Penn, she writes for XXL Magazine right now. How about we go and take you to her? And I think, you know, I think you'll get a lot of it out of it, but she'll, she has a job to find cool stuff to write about. So I got him his first right. article uh, ever about him. Took him, I said, hey, my other friend, Amy, she works at William Morris. Isn't that number one booking agent? Doesn't she work at William Morris? Well, maybe let's go over there. Let's see if we can get a meeting. We did. He got the number one hip hop booking agent. And that's from relationships at Penn. And Dara, she got a lot of recognition for that. She's like one of the heads of Viacom now. Uh, Amy oh, cool. got got a lot of love at William Morris because she made that connection. So my point is, if you want to leverage those relationships, find folks that you think are doing cool things and add value to what they're doing. After that second, after that William Morris sort of conversation, Kanye was like, I need you to work. I need you to be here with me every day. How can, how can I do that? So don't worry about, I think, getting Meek Mill to like respond, talk to you on Clubhouse or whatever. Just like, how can you help your immediate network succeed? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great reframe uh, because everyone who's a household name right now uh, started not as a household name. I guess, except for Ivy, Blue Ivy. Oh, yeah, she was a household name from day one, I guess. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they had that child employed at the age of two years old. And <laughs> I think that's very interesting. Strategic management. That's very interesting. We had a conversation maybe like a month or two ago where you mentioned that one of your core strengths is is leading, basically, getting people into the right spaces and sort of directing them uh, to help, like, execute your vision. And I found that very intriguing. And I have several questions on this, but the first question is, how have you developed your communication skills to be able to communicate a vision? Well... I'm still working on that. I'm consistently working on on that. A big one I'm working on now is how to condense your word, how to say the same thing with less words. And Mm. people relate, use efficiency with words as domain mastery. They they, they don't equate, but people seem to equate those a lot. Um, Man, I just, I I feel like, and it's interesting, I, I think... My and I'm not being efficient with my words right now, but my and that's okay because it's a podcast. Yes, so I, yes. I need you to talk. But it's interesting. <laughs> and I think about it like, oh, you're not being very efficient with your words. Um, but for me, I have my own sort of. I don't year, years years ago, people would tell me like my emails. I could be messaging someone about, oh, we're going to the party tonight or what time, and they're like, oh, why do you communicate? Like you, it's so corporate. Like you even texting in a corporate way. Like, you know what? I'm mm-hmm. going to own that. I'm going to run, run with that. So I try to be very clear. I try to not use pronouns like because people mm-hmm. get very easy to get things switched up. I try to just be frank. I try to be very clear with what I'm, I'm saying. And one thing that I think all of us could benefit from is... Um, is I really try to not 
assume. And you know how you, you, you go into a room, people were, were talking, like some buddies of yours, and you, you go in a room, and then they're, they're kind of laughing, and then they start to like hush up a bit, sort of straighten up. And you're like, they're talking about me, or they're talking something about something they're hiding from me. It's like something not that I'm not a part of, probably against me in some way. Why? And so, yeah, I think that's really helped me is to not assume, like we assume so much. And if we take a step back from that, that assuming colors how I engage with you. Because maybe you were late to, you weren't, but you're late to, to, to this. And so you don't respect my time. You think this is like actually like not even worth your, your time. Well, then I might have a little attitude with, with you. There's so many little microaggressions that get caused by things that we assume. And so I did some exercises a, a few years back of contacting all these people and saying, hey, you know what? I wasn't really feeling when you did this because it affected me like this. And the person, whether it's mm-hmm. a relationship or a parent or a sister, is like, well, that wasn't at all what I was thinking. I was embarrassed right. by the fact that I didn't do this. Or I was actually really set upset because my boyfriend just dumped me and whatever. So I don't know. I, I think if we stop assuming, it really helps us listen better and communicate better. What do you feel like are your core strengths? Like things that have been innate and you've just been cultivating them? I think I have a, a strength for for knowing where markets are going Hmm. or sort of informally seeing trends. And I think that's my main strength, to be honest. What about you? What are your strengths that are innate? I think emotional intelligence. It's hard to know if that one is innate or just I was exposed to the skill so early that it has become second nature. I'd also say resilience. It's really hard for me to just give up. Even in the pits of my despair, I'm sort of like, well, there's probably a really cool teachable lesson at the end of maximum effort. (laughs) So yeah, I'd say those are my core strengths. Do you ever find that um, part of being a good investor is knowing when to, is knowing when to invest in a stock, right? Knowing what stock or or businesses or whatever it is to get involved with. But part of it is also mm-hmm. knowing when to get out. That might be, be mm-hmm. even the more important part. So mm-hmm. if you never quit, and I ask myself this, if you never quit, do you kind of, as noble as it may be, do you potentially burn your, yourself as a, as in terms of what you're investing your time and energy into? Um, is there a downside to never quitting? Certainly, but I would not say that I never quit. Well, part of it is I have a very fine filter for what I give my energy to, to begin with. So I almost would say my bottleneck is in starting things because I feel very judicious about where I'm directing myself because I know about this tendency to to try and get maximum effort out of it. There's definitely a downside, though, to to not quitting wasted energy in some ways. I've definitely seen it burn myself. 
I guess one example would be I was an au pair in France and the first family I was with, things became pretty quickly hostile and they offered to take me to the airport so that I could change my flight and leave. But instead I just found a different family because I didn't want to change my flight. And the rest of my time in France was also pretty miserable. (laughs) That's what I mean. (laughs) That happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you, where, where did you live? You mentioned you're an army brat. I lived in Japan, Maryland, Illinois, Florida, And then there was always back and forth to Jamaica because my parents are originally Jamaican. But I I wasn't, I didn't live there for like a full year or anything, just summers, stuff like this. How do you think that affected you? I think that's part of where the emotional intelligence came from. Um, But more importantly, it helped me to realize that there aren't any defaults or I don't have to accept defaults. So moving from place to place and seeing how culturally different things could be from even Illinois to Florida, it made me realize that when I walk into a room and I see that this is how everyone's doing it, that doesn't mean it's the best way or the only way. Yeah. And let me say something to that effect Sure. that I don't think is said enough. I remember being at I remember being at, at Warden and being in this uh, managing innovation course, I think. And we were looking at how mm-hmm. to, some new product, some new, you know, some new product was coming out. And how do you get this into as many people's hands as possible? Do you go through this route? Do you go through this route? Do you go through this route? And, and I'm just like, obviously you go through route B. Like, it's very clear to me, like you only w- would go through route B uh, <laughs> for so many reasons. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Fred's like, who says root A? Who says root B? And I'm like, B, B. He's like laughing, like, <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? Obviously, it's B. And um, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, it can't be B because X, Y, Z. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And the next week, this product that we started been talking about came out with root B. And, right. and, and it was, you know, being received very well. I'm like, obviously, this is what you have to do. And then similarly, even in the sort of, VC world, I had similar experiences where these guys will say something and it's clearly colored by some bias or just, I don't know, not super bright in some instances. And then, and I'm like, but clearly this is going to work this way. There's no other way for the world to move forward except for this. And, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, you know, I'm not always right, but often I'm right. I'm like, how could they, think that but the main the main thing i learned i'm like man these white people do not always know the answers they do not know these people (laughs) in these suits and these vests do not they're not smarter than you or me they're not right and so i totally a thousand percent agree like it's just because people have a certain title or work for a certain company or that's just the way that it's been done is, is not, it's 2021. Like the world is changing so crazy. The president's like, who cares the way it's been done? That's probably the mm-hmm. way you know to not do it. Um, right. So I really, I, I, I really wish I hadn't spent years being like, well, they said it does done, it's done that way. So I guess that's the way it is. 
anyways, I got off my soapbox. Well, actually, I want to dig into that because how do you or how can my listeners and myself learn, sort of develop that muscle to stick to your instinct? You know, like, as you're saying, you're not always going to be right, but often your gut has the best answer. But we are conditioned, I think, to doubt it and to listen to authority. So how do we... How do we skip sort of those years right. that you had where you were like, dang it? <laughs> yeah. Well, honestly, the powerful thing for me was was being around Kanye mm-hmm. and seeing someone that, you know, every, even though he's making lots of money, like producing, every day people are like, no, the way that you think about it won't work. That won't work. Nobody wants that. And he'd be like, no, that's, you were wrong. And so Mm -hmm. that inability to accept that and to really be, you know, focused on your goals, but also to be great and practiced and competent Mm. and innovative. Mm -hmm. That's part of it too. It's not just a matter of just doing what you want. I I don't feel, but that's what gave, I feel Virgil Abloh a sort of confidence to say, uh, I can't start my own thing. It could, it can work. And Don C, mm-hmm. the designer, and me. I literally go in these meetings like, I'm not here to make an app that we make a few million dollars. We're here to literally like change the whole way this world operates. And either you're right. with that or not. Um, and there's mm-hmm. ways that we're going to go about that that may not agree with how you learned in school 30 years ago. So I think if there's ways that you can pitch yourself around people who you feel are doing that in, in their own lives, I think that's one way to get more comfortable with it. Because you, you've got to be able to see the, the reward. And, you know, or, or even if, if, it's, if it's you sort of tracking your own, you know what, they said that B isn't going to be the, the, the way this goes. So that's not the right way. But let's track this. Let me actually document how I think different things are going to play out. And let's see if I know what I'm talking about in the healthcare space mm-hmm. or in my relationships or in, in whatever world that you feel you have credibility or insight, test it, test mm-hmm. it yourself. And mm-hmm. if you are passing those tests, what does that mean? It's kind of anecdotal, but I think when it comes to like confidence, you need either like data points to tell you I know what I'm doing or you need some examples just in your face that are like, damn, if he did it, I can do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Testing yourself, I think, is huge. Uh, and just collecting personal data points. I think that makes a lot of sense. Get some fake money. Go to the stock market. <laughs> if that's your thing, there's there's mm-hmm. no cost to us testing our hypotheses. Right, right. This brings me to the point of, in terms of competency, how do you go about learning outside of the confines of other people's preconceptions? I can expand a little bit. And by that, I mean, when you were in that class, in Wharton and you were like, well, it's obviously B like, 
what could you have done or what do you do now to sort of learn in a way where you're like, okay, I think this space is teaching only this one thing and how can I learn the other ways that I'm more intuitively interested in? Does this make sense? I I think so. I I think that most of our schools of thought with the internet, there are practitioners of whatever school of, of thought. Maybe years before you think things should operate opposite of how they do now, you never have access to that sort of curriculum or thinking. You can probably find access to, to that now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm a big fan of community and the power of numbers. How can I share my ideas and then have people build on top of them or re- refute them or change my mind? Mm-hmm. I think that's where, like, that's where, that's where a lot of these platforms, whether it's the medium or, or Clubhouse or Twitter, like, I think those are great places to test ideas get feedback, change your idea, strengthen it. And I think, I think that's how you learn now. I was just, I was just mm. with my daughter in the room and she's on her computer, been on her computer all day. I was like, this sucks. I was like, this sucks, doesn't it? She's like, no. I'm like, you don't have like blocks. You don't have like robots. You're taking a robot, robotics course only on the computer. You don't have no basketballs to do. You only have this thing. And this is great, this screen and buttons, but all the feedback that you can get from throwing this ball or arguing over how this block should work, that's how you learn. So I think in terms of ideas, you know, that's the equivalent where you're sort of jousting with each other on whatever platforms. Yeah. So you've mentioned that you like building things. And right now, a lot of people, I think, are struggling to build community. So would you suggest or what do you suggest in order to build and nurture community in this time, in these times? These times. <laughs> I'm working on how, how do we do that as a company? How do you access tangential communities? So, and, and I'll, I'll give the, the use case of our business, but I think this could sure. apply to anything. You know, our platform, Adventure, is a, it's really about connected media. You know, the internet, the vast majority of internet data is video, but that video has no intelligence. You can't search for a topic within a video. Just think about that. I can't even look at a video and get to a part of it that I want natively. Um, It's it's not responsive to me. I can't, like, speak to it. I can't interact with it. And those are all things that we're changing through our open platform. And so to do that, I believe we need to build a community of progressive creators that are looking for this sort of sort of thing. So we are, mm-hmm. we started, it's like starting from scratch, like starting from scratch with, uh, if you go on Reddit and go look up video editors and, and just like really starting from ground zero, it's, it's a lot of heavy lift. And whenever I spoke with um, folks from PIN and we did the, the PIN t- social media takeover, you know, one of, one of the guys from PIN was like, oh, this would be really cool for a PIN immersive. This consortium at PIN of students who are interested in AR, VR, interactive media. I'm like, yeah, this, 
this would be up the alley for that. And they're like, yeah. And, you know, um, and I realized that at Columbia, where I went to grad school, they also have a digital storytelling lab. And then we were contacted by another school, uh, Elon University, and the head of their interactive media program. And I'm like, you know what? And I just started thinking of random schools. Okay, University of Miami, look it up. Wow, they do have an interactive media major. Okay, Rice, let's look it up. And I realized there's all these communities that exist that may they may or may not be exactly tuned in to my interest, but they're pretty close. And so mm-hmm. how can we leverage that to, uh, to start to build community around um, my particular interest. Um, so I, I, I think that, I think anything you're interested in doing, there's people who are, uh, if not doing that, it's the same thing in, in the, the ballpark of it. And that's a place to uh, start. Same thing with music. Yeah. We started with John Legend, we were performing at, on Penn's campus and at weddings mm-hmm. and bars in Philadelphia. And so people grew and then it's all their friends and, and the community grew. And every show, I had friends who were in bands who were much bigger than John, way bigger than John. And they would do these shows and then just leave the, the venue. One thing with John that we always did, someone always went around, this was in the early days, with a clipboard mm-hmm. and got everyone's email and phone number that was there. And that's how the community grew, by paying attention to mm-hmm. the people who were interested in the same mission to some, to any extent. They could have been there for someone else, but we're going to get your email because you at least like this right. genre, apparently. So right. just, you don't have to, you don't have to start from scratch. That's what we, we tried to do. That's not smart. Just what's tangential and start from there. Yeah, I love that. Don't start from scratch. Uh, cacao. Now it's time for the seedling round, which is where short answers lead to tasty questions. Uh-oh. Okay. Elephant in the room. You have three Grammys. Uh, are you excited about them anymore? Mm, I wouldn't say excited. I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's it. <laughs> I, I feel almost like people are like, oh, oh, for what? I'm like, uh, this song, 2000. Um, but it, it is it is cool but I'm excited about what I'm doing now sure sure what is the craziest story you're willing to share about your time in the music industry hmm. well many of them probably aren't my place to share but um, craziest story I mean uh, I, I I don't know. Just a story that I that I think about a lot is is I don't know if it's a story, but I think about John Legend. I think about always being sort of mystified that you know, as far as I can tell, that we were very close in college. That he never kissed a girl in college. And <laughs> okay, that's that's funny. See, but you wouldn't even think of him kissing a girl, and. To was it to, in 2019? He was named the sexiest man alive, People Magazine. Mm-hmm. So that to me is crazy, and right. and he's married to I don't know supermodel. Uh, you know yeah. that tells me anything is possible. 
So there's nothing you could tickle your friend from Penn and uh-huh. never kiss the boy. Uh-huh. And then years later, she's the hottest woman on earth. Or, sure. you know, <laughs> vice versa, whatever. Um, right, right. So I think that's a, a crazy story that's safe to share. Great. As soon as we stop recording, I do want to hear the unsafe Okay, ones. we'll see. <laughs> and the last question is, what do you do when you don't feel like moving forward? I'm an excellent procrastinator. Like mm. no one's as good as procrastinating as me. Um, mm-hmm. But what I am trying to do, what I'm working on very actively now, is really is getting more comfortable saying no, mm-hmm. and really discerning. There's a thousand things that we have the opportunity to do, or people are requesting us to do, and what are my goals and which of these things are really important to getting to my goal? And let's be really disciplined about that and just say no to those other things. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, even before I might've just ignored if I really didn't want to move forward, I would just ignore that request or to, to follow up on something. But now I've seen, you know, maybe you need to interact with this person six months later or six years later. And there's a sort of a bad taste in the mouth from that. So I'm trying to learn to be more sort of upfront about, Hey, this doesn't just doesn't work into sort of what my goals are right now. And so far I'm finding people are being, you know, generally respectful of of that. There, there's always this imagined penalty to saying no to something that you don't have the bandwidth for. I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. But a lot of people have it. Yeah. I, I feel, and maybe, it, and it's probably just incorrect often, there's a personal affront to say, whatever you're requesting is not worth my time. So really, you are not worth my time. That's not really mm-hmm. what we're saying, but it feels like that's how they're going to take it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cacao, that ends this evening round. Um, I like to end on two things. What is your greatest ambition? My greatest ambition. My greatest ambition is to inspire some number, any number of Mm -hmm. young black and brown people to explore the world of technology, which I feel is like the industrial revolution happening in front of our eyes and we're not participating Mm -hmm. in it. it. My greatest ambition is to inspire some folks who look like you and me to participate in this revolution. Yeah, that's admirable. Do you feel like it's... um... Do you feel like at any point you're going to put a concrete number on it? Do you think that's more motivating or less motivating? Mm, uh, I, I think it's, I think it, it can be, uh, I don't know. I don't think it's more or less, but I think it's just hard to, it's hard to say, did I inspire them? That's one for me. She's, she's right. studying computer science. That's because of me. That's not because of me. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's, that's the thing that would be hard to, it'd be hard to measure. I see. 
I see. Okay. And lastly, what is the question of the week? Question of the week? Who's going to put money in this seed round that we're talking to right now? Who is for real going to put up this money? And the other question B is, mm-hmm. as we look at, uh, you know, I, I'm very company centric at the moment, but um, as we really take seriously the opportunity to grow this company, not even this company, but this format of media, mm-hmm. is that done by focusing on selling this stuff to big companies and letting them distribute at scale this new format? Or is that done by a slower grassroots creator by creator, bottom up approach that focuses on craft and innovation? How do you make something ubiquitous in the the world? Dan Runsey, I believe is how you pronounce his name, of the Trapital newsletter and podcast, I think just wrote about this. Yeah. The sort of top down or bottom up and which to choose. Yeah. Well, the general, the general sort of academic thesis would be, including me, is, yeah, bottom up is more global in the community, blah, blah, blah. But when you have limited money in, ge- in general, right. then it, it's not so easy just to be like, we'll go slow. Um, and so, yeah, it, it is what it is in, in, in terms of that. Uh, but then the other part of it, that someone asked me this week about, about this is if you have, if you're black and you may have slightly different or majorly different or not, not different, but maybe you have different expectations set on you and you need to prove more. And so you might make different choices than you would if it was completely organically. Hey, what 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 do do we do? Uh, you might need to pull in a few more dollars and prove that you know what you're doing. And should you? Should you succumb to that? Should you listen to that? Right. Right. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Certainly. Well, thank you very much, Diva, for being on the show. Where can people connect with you or hear about your new goings-ons? Yes. Um, you can, well, you can check out our site, Adventure, which is A-D-V-E-N-T-R dot I-O. And you can like check out some of what I'm talking about there. And, you know, there's lots of new cool stuff uh, that you'll be seeing there. But, um, but you know, I'm on all social platforms at Spring Steezy, because I'm the boss. That's what they told me. Um, and so, um, but yeah, I, I really appreciate, um, you know, the opportunity to be on here and your, your, your questions are really uh, thoughtful. And uh, so thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Great. So if you guys enjoyed this episode, if you learned something, if you liked it, if you laughed a little, please subscribe, rate and review, share it with a friend, all the things that I'm always asking for. Just do it. Come on. Do it. Yeah, do it. Why not? Do it. Well, you guys will hear me next week.